and we begin to look at that road to Calvary for the next few weeks. We begin today in Matthew chapter 16. We pick up in verse number 21. Let's read those verses together. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. When we think of the disciples, we don't think of some of the things that we should think of. We think of the disciples and the life that they lived, being able to, for three years, those twelve men uh, being as close to Jesus uh, physically and in His presence so often, and we don't think of it, uh, we, we think that, you know, that would have been, and it would have been, the greatest life that anyone could have lived, to have been there in the presence of Jesus, to, to be a part of His ministry. But there was a lot more to it than that. There was a lot of physical, spiritual, and emotional difficulties that these men went through during that time that they traveled with Jesus. And a lot of times they would come to a point to where they were just completely exhausted and they needed some rest and that's where we pick up this story here in uh, Matthew chapter 16 is this place where they had come to where Jesus in his wisdom knew that his disciples physically spiritually and emotionally were exhausted and they needed a rest they needed a retreat so they're here to place uh, Caesarea Philippi and they have found a quiet place Jesus has found a quiet place where just they can be together and have fellowship and, and communion together. We all need that place, don't we? We all need that quiet place alone with the Lord where we can just be, it's just us, it's just us and Jesus. Just me and Jesus. I am so looking forward to warmer weather because that place for me is in my backyard in the morning before everybody gets up is just to be there or at a table in my backyard with my Bible open, with my prayer sheet beside my Bible, and to just spend that first portion of the day alone with the Lord in my backyard, just nature and the Lord, and no, no interruptions, no, no phones ringing, no nothing. Somebody called me at 6 o'clock this morning, woke me up from a dead sleep, I still don't know which one of you it was. It was a prank, I believe. But, but 
just that quiet time to be with the Lord. It's where I best hear from Him. It's where I best commune with Him. Jesus was our model in that. In that oftentimes Jesus Himself pulled away even from the twelve and went away somewhere by Himself just to be He and the Father. So Jesus again models this for us as He takes these twelve men away and they just spend time alone together. And there are some life-changing lessons that happen here on this retreat that they're, they're having. Jesus, just a few verses up from this, has asked them, Who do you say that I am? We see Peter's confession. It's the first confession of faith, really, that we see in the New Testament, in the Gospels. Peter's confession, he says, that you are the Lord, you're, you're the Son of the living God. And the Lord reveals to Peter and to his disciples that he's going to build a great church built around these confessions. But there's also a very difficult lesson that they learn here, and that's the lesson of the cross. They begin to, uh, Jesus begins to vividly not speak in, in kind of riddles to them, but he tells them just plainly, what is about to happen in his life and theirs as he goes toward the cross. The disciples learn that Jesus is on his way to Calvary and that there's no stopping it at this point. They know that this is his fate. So we begin to look at these, this situation and first we see the cross of the Calvary Road in verse number 21. These disciples have a great longing in their heart for the kingdom of God to be established in their time. They have a great longing in their heart to see a great radical change happen in the region where they live. They are under great oppression. They live in a situation where everywhere they look politically, they see Roman soldiers who are in complete control of their everyday life. They live in the, Palestine, the region of Palestine, but yet everything in their life is controlled by people hundreds of miles away from them in Rome. They are oppressed. The representatives of that group are soldiers who come and enforce their laws brutally. Even in their religious life, where they would want to have great freedom from that and want to have an area in their life where they, they feel a closeness to God. In their religious life, they're oppressed by the, by the scribes and the Pharisees and the, and the people, the religious leaders, who keep them under their thumb with man-made rules and distinctions that have nothing to do with God's Word. So these disciples are longing to be freed from this oppression. But, and they... They are longing, not only are they longing for it, they sense that it is just about to happen. They sense that, that, that this great work, this great thing is just about to happen in their midst. They have this, uh, they, they look and they know that just a, a couple of chapters over in Matthew chapter 13, they have witnessed the multitudes listen to Jesus. Look at uh, verse number 1 and 2 in chapter 13. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down 
and the whole crowd stood on the beach. Great multitudes of people are following Jesus. And think about this. These 12 men have watched in amazement as these crowds get so big that Jesus has to get into a boat and set out in the sea and speak to the crowd that's on the beach there. They're amazed. They've never seen anything like this before. And not only are they amazed at the crowd, but they're just as amazed at the teaching that goes on. Think about these powerful parables that they heard during that time. The parable of the sower, the parable of the weeds and the mustard seed and the leaven, the parable of the hidden treasure, and the parable of the great, of great pearl of great value. Then they see in the, at just a few uh, moments after that, just in the same time period, they see Jesus feed 5,000 people and walk on water. There in verse number, in chapter 14. Um, think about what is the, the greatest day of your life? What, was, what would you say would be the greatest day of your life? Some of you are thinking, some of you have, should have just looked at your wife and said, oh, it's our wedding day. Some of you are thinking about the birth of your children. There are great days. There are days that really stand out in your life. I remember uh, when Grayson was in the first grade. He was about six years old. And I took him to uh, Tuscaloosa for his, uh, for his birthday. And we went to the Bryant Museum. And then we went to Dreamland. And we ate uh, ribs. And we went to an Alabama basketball game. And Grayson got to get on the court and play basketball there at halftime. And I remember at one point they set this big slab of ribs down in front of Grayson. And Grayson looked at me and he said, Daddy, this is the greatest day of my whole life. Six years old. Nothing been better since, has there, Grayson? Now you think about the greatest day of your life and it pales in comparison to the day uh, that the, the, the disciples got to spend here. You think about this. They got to witness Jesus take five loaves of bread and two fish and feed 5,000 people with it. Can you imagine? And when it was over, when all those people had been fed, there were 12 baskets left over. They got to see one of the greatest physical miracles that has ever happened on this earth. And they get out and he puts them in a boat and he sends them off. And I, I imagine in that boat, they're sitting there, and all they can talk about is, man, did you see? I mean, he just took those two, two loaves of bread, the, 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 two, the two fish and the five loaves, and, and he just said a blessing, and, and, and we've got 12 baskets in the boat here with us. We're going to eat for days. And they're amazed at that. And then, and then in the middle of that, they look up, and they see him walking on water. They're amazed. I mean... It, this, I mean, the rest of their lives, if you ask them, you know, what's the most amazing day of your life? They'll go back and say it was that day we saw Jesus feed 5,000 people and then we look out on the water and he's walking on water. And they're looking at this and they are, they are excited about this man. They're excited about their relationship with him. And then in chapter 15, they see him rebuke the religious leaders and not only rebuke them, but rebuke them with great authority. In, in that he quotes Isaiah, uh, uh, he quotes Isaiah when he says this, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. 
In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. Jesus not only rebukes them, but he rebukes them scripturally, and he rebukes them with authority, and they can't argue with him. And all, all these disciples are just enthusiastically thinking that Jesus is about to establish the kingdom of God. They think that he's taking them here on this retreat to Caesarea Philippi to give them the document, the blueprint, for what he's about to do in overthrowing the religious leaders and overthrowing the government. And boom, it's snatched away from them. The revelation here is of a Calvary, of the Calvary road. And these men are shocked when they realize that Jesus has not come for a revolution, a political revolution, but Jesus has actually come to die. The street where just a little while later Jesus would stand before Pilate and he would be condemned to death. That street from Pilate's hall to, the Cal to Calvary where he would die on a cross is called the Via Dolorosa. It's still there in old Jerusalem today. It's called, it, it means the sorrowful way. But Jesus' road did not begin there in front of Pilate. It began in a stable, in a manger in Bethlehem, and it would go all the way to the cross. All of his life, Jesus was walking the Calvary road, and he knew that this was why he came to the world, and now his disciples know this. And there's a common reaction to the Calvary road. We see in verses number 22 and 23, Peter didn't want to hear about a cross. Peter didn't want to hear that this man who he had placed all of his faith in, this man who he had just confessed, you're not just a man, but you're the son of the living God, he didn't want to think about him going to a cross. Because Peter had seen the cross in action. Peter had witnessed the Romans line the roads on either side with crosses, with people hanging from those crosses dying, because they had dared to rise up against the Roman government. Peter didn't want to think that Jesus Christ would die this way. He wanted to know that there was another way. The world would like to find another way. The, Lord, the, the world would like to find a more cultured way, a more refined or educated, a more enlightened way than the cross. They, they would like to find a code of conduct that would save them. The Buddhist monks have hundreds of vows that they have to take in their lifetime after they commit to being a Buddhist monk. They take hundreds of vows proclaiming their work toward enlightenment and their work toward becoming enlightened. Buddha's dying words were this, work hard to gain your own salvation. Work hard to gain your own salvation. Jesus' words juxtaposed against that were, it is finished. Jesus didn't say, work hard to gain your own salvation. Jesus said, it is finished because I have gone to the cross and I have done the work for you and you now have the opportunity to accept the work that I have done to, to bring it into your life and to make me Lord of your life and, and you don't have to worry about those things anymore because then I'm Lord and Savior. I did the work for you. Can you imagine living life thinking 
that you have to work hard to gain your own salvation? Can you imagine the struggle in your life in thinking that it's you, that it depends upon you and what you do and how you live? In light of the fact that Jesus went to a cross and died for you and gave his life, and Paul said that it was not about works so that no man could boast, but it was about placing your faith and trust in Jesus. Jesus said it is finished. There was a need of a cross. There was a need of a cross because it reveals the sinful condition that you and I are in. If our sins weren't so many, maybe there wouldn't have been a need for a cross. But because of the great multitude of sins of humanity, there was a great need for a cross. Because now we can see by the cross, we can see the seriousness of our sin. The cross was the greatest penalty of death that anyone could face. And when we look at the cross, we see the seriousness of the sin in our life. And the fact that only the blood of Jesus could wash it away. Jesus would suffer and die at the hands of religious men. But get this, after he was dead, after they'd taken him from a cross, they were still just religious men who were still lost in their sins and in need of the Savior that they had crucified. Religion cannot save, only Jesus Christ can save us. And then we see Jesus and His call to the Calvary Road. These famous verses. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. He says, if anyone would follow me, they have to take up their cross and deny themselves. We live in a world where it is about promoting ourselves. Where it is about um, fluffing ourselves up and making ourselves feel good. We live in a world where self-importance is, is the greatest thing. But Jesus says that we have to die to ourselves. That we have to take up our cross because the Calvary road is a road to surrender. Think about Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew chapter 26 when He says these words, Not, as, not, not my will, but your will be done. I read a quote this week that said, The Lord can't clean our house if we are still in it. In other words, we have to give up. We have to get out of the way. I cleaned house. Well, when I, oh, I better not say I cleaned house. We cleaned house yesterday. All day long, we cleaned house. With, with, the, with the NCAA tournament on, we still had to clean house. But what you do is, at our house, you had to clean house while Grayson and Bryson are not there. Because cleaning house while they are there is kind of like trying to comb your hair in a hurricane. It's pointless. It's the same way spiritually with us. 
We've got to get out of God's way. We've got to give and surrender to God and give our, give our whole being and our whole house to God so that He can, he can cling to Himself. We have to get out of the way. Jesus Christ Himself said, not my will, but your will be done. If Jesus said that, then it is a great example to us that we have to say the same thing in our lives. Um, we, Jesus was obedient to the death of the cross. Philippians 2, chapter, uh, verse 5 through 8, Jesus, the, Paul says there that he was obedient even to a death on the cross. Not just any death, but a death on the cross. The Calvary Road is a road of sacrifice. It's a road of service. We give our service in light of His sacrifice. We serve Him when we look and see the great sacrifice that He has given for us. We want to serve Him. We serve in light of that sacrifice. There's something that comes up inside of us, that wells up inside of us, that makes us want to serve Him. That makes us want to live a life that's pleasing to Him. And then we live, our, we, we live at our service in the light of His return. We know, that he's, we know that He's coming back someday. Now these 12 men who were gathered around Him, they were living in anticipation of the fact that He was about to do something great that had never been done on earth. They had been waiting for a Messiah. They had been waiting for someone to come and to free them from the oppression that they were under. And they thought this was the moment when that was about to happen. But what it was, was even greater than that. Because He wasn't just here for those twelve men. He wasn't just here for their lives. But He was here for the life of everyone who would ever live from that point on. It would have been the greatest historical moment, the greatest act in history, if Jesus had taken those 12 men and He had overthrown the, the government that was oppressing them, it would be something that we sit in, 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 in classrooms today and we would, we would learn about and we would know about how this man Jesus came and overthrew the greatest army that ever lived with 12 men who, who went about and put this plan together. It would, be a great, it would have been a great thing. But yet, what happened was so much greater than that. It was so much more amazing than that, that He, God in the flesh, who could have spoke all this into happening, surrendered His life so that you and I could have life. He submitted His life to the will of the Father so that you and I could have life eternal and so that we could live what He said in John 10.10 10, that He came so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. And you think about it, there's no more abundant life that exists than knowing that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and that your eternity is squared away with Him and that when you leave this life, you're going to be with Him in eternity. And that as you walk through this life, 
no matter what hardship, no matter what distress, no matter what you go through, He is walking through it with you. And that His words to us were not work as hard as you can to gain your salvation, but His words to us were, it is finished, accept my salvation. It was the greatest event in human history when He submitted His life there and gave us life. So this morning, as we begin looking toward this moment that we'll celebrate on Easter Sunday, we look knowing that there was a moment when Jesus spoke to these men there at Caesarea Philippi where they were completely disappointed. They were heartbroken there for a moment. And we realize sitting here this morning, March 19, 2017, we realize that the world this morning is disappointed when they come to a realization that Jesus is the only way. When we say that Jesus is the only way, it disappoints the world to a point to where they hate that message. They're not just disappointed in it, they hate the message. But we come to a point in our life where we look this morning and say there was a time in our lives where no matter what we say, we lived in a way that said we hate that message also. Because we lived, the Bible tells us that we lived in enmity against the Father. Because we were outside. But there was a point in our lives where we came to a point where just as Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will. And from that moment, God has changed us. And God has given us life. Not just physical life, but life eternal spiritually. And now we, we stand here at this season of Easter. And we look toward the cross. But we look with greater anticipation to the resurrection. And we know that we've placed our whole life and our whole trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, as we begin to look toward that way, I want us to look knowing that He's the hope of this world. That He's the answer for this world. Look anticipating His return. People think that we're crazy when we say that Jesus is returning for us someday and that He's going to pull us out of this world. But I believe it with all my heart. And I believe beyond that, I believe that some I, I believe that I will be I believe I'll be here on this earth when it happens. I really do. Some of you think I'm crazy. But I really, I really believe that. The only disappointment to me is that I won't be here to hear them on CNN and MSNBC try to explain what happened. Why all these, but you know what? They're, not going to, they're going to rejoice that it happened. 
They're going to rejoice that we're out of their way. I really believe it. All right, the people on Fox will still be there too. They'll be explaining it, all right? But I want you to live with a sense of anticipation that your neighbor doesn't know that. That the person you work with doesn't know that. That the person that you're doing business with doesn't know that. That the person you sit in the classroom with doesn't know that. That your son or daughter may not know that. That your grandchildren may not know that. That your mom and dad may not know Christ is their Savior. If I were riding down the road and I went and I, I was going through Micah's neighborhood and I saw his house engulfed in flames, my responsibility would be to stop and to beat on every door and every window and to try to wake him up and try to save his family. Well, guess what? There's something worse that's going on in the lives of people that you, you, you're with every day. Their house is on fire. Much worse than that. They're living in the most dangerous situation that a person can live in. They're living apart from a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I lived that way for, for a great bulk of my life. And there were a few people who told me that I was living that way. But I worked with a lot of Christians who shunned me and who wouldn't talk to me because of the life I lived. They wouldn't have anything to do with me. And I wonder now, you know, I look back on those people and I wonder what in the world were you thinking that you never told me? You never invited me to church? You never said, he, you never, you never said hey, look, your house is on fire. What are, we, what are we looking for in these next few weeks? We're looking to point people to the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just a celebration for us. It is a celebration for us. But it's not just a celebration for us. It should be a motivation for us also to tell others about Jesus. Maybe this morning you want to spend some time where you are or, or here in this altar, maybe you want to pray about people that you know who need to know Jesus. Maybe you want to pray about the courage to tell those people about Jesus. Maybe some of those people who didn't tell me about Jesus, maybe they just didn't have the courage to tell me. I want you to pray that you will. And I want us to focus on this time of the as we approach Easter. I want us to focus on this great event that happened there. And how we need to express it. To our neighbors and our relatives and our friends and our co-workers. And all the people that we have an opportunity to. Would you stand with me this morning? Father. I pray this morning dear God that you would. Encourage us. Motivate us. Open our eyes with spiritual wisdom that only you can give to show us people that we need to speak to, that we need to talk to, that we need to share our faith with. They may be living in the house with us, they may be working with us or in the classroom with us. Whoever they are, Lord, give us the eyes to see them. 
Father, I pray that um, as we come to the celebration of Easter, that we would be able to celebrate it even more by knowing that people have come to Christ because we've invited them to church or because we've told them about the difference that you made in our lives. Eleven of these twelve men would dedicate their lives in telling people not only about the events that they saw, but about the change that happened, the transformation that happened in their life because of their relationship with Jesus. And they would change the world. Give us that boldness, dear God. Maybe there's someone here this morning, Father, who needs to come and needs to begin a relationship with you. I pray that they would come this morning and find myself or Donna or Seth, and they would allow us to take Scripture and to show them. Maybe there's some who need to follow through in believers' baptism or unite with this church in membership. Maybe that's your will for their life right now, Father. I pray that you give them the courage to do so. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.